Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Later today, the Connecticut State Senate will take up measures related to the governor's remaining executive powers in the pandemic. Among them, should the statewide mask mandate in schools expire at the end of the month? Governor Lamont thinks so. Coming up, we'll talk about the legislature's role and if the mandate ends, how local school districts will respond. We'll hear from superintendents and from Dr. Manisha Jutani, commissioner of the State Department of Public Health. Her department is working on guidance for school districts. You can join us, too. How do you want your child's school to handle masks in the months ahead? That number, 888-720-9677. 888-720-WMPR. Share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. That conversation on the mask mandate coming up first. While the school mask mandate has dominated the news related to the Connecticut General Assembly, we can't forget the new legislative session has begun. Chief on the to-do list for lawmakers and the governor is the state budget. And of course, there are topical bills that will come up before the session ends. But this is also a big election year for General Assembly seats and, of course, the gubernatorial race. So what can we really expect from the legislature this session? Joining us now on Zoom is Mark Pazniokas, Capitol Bureau Chief for the Connecticut Mirror. Mark, welcome back to the show. Good morning. So much to talk about. Uh, before we get into the vote coming up before the, the state Senate, let's talk about the session overall, Mark. And as I mentioned, it's an election year. You've been doing this for, for some time now, uh, covering the state capitol and important races. What do you expect to see this session? Well, the election certainly will color almost everything that the governor and the General Assembly does this year. That's just the nature of the beast. Um so the governor is framing his re-election really using the budget proposal and some other initiatives. Um, the Republicans, the minority party uh, that has been struggling since the election of President Trump in 2016, the Republicans had a pretty good string of uh, picking up seats uh, from a low point in 2008. But that all ended uh, in 2018, where the, when the Democrats were really energized uh, two years into the, the Trump uh, administration. And so the Republicans are trying to capitalize on a couple of issues. Uh, one is crime. Um, the sweeping police accountability bill that was passed uh, in response to the George Floyd uh, killing by police in Minneapolis is something that the Republicans want to revisit, um, as well as the spike we've seen in car thefts, particularly those committed by juveniles. Again, there is an effort on the Republican side to re-examine some of the reforms about how we treat uh, juveniles in the criminal justice system. This is also a short session. So when we think about the dynamic between especially uh, lawmakers who want to propose particular bills, you know, what can really get accomplished in these short 
few months. Well, you're right. The short session is supposed to be focused on fiscal issues. Um, the rules are a little different in the short session. Um, for a legislator to propose a bill, you really have to do it through a committee. The uh, The term of art is, a, you know, the committee has to raise a bill. Um, so that does limit the volume of bills. You need to start with at least a consensus that it's something they should take up. It doesn't mean there is a consensus that it's going to pass. But yes, um, it, it is a different animal than it is in the uh, odd number of years uh, when it's a five-month session. I believe uh, was it last week where the legislature's conservative caucus uh, actually came out with their priorities. And number one on the list was to require photo IDs to vote. Really, Mark, in Connecticut? That is an issue that keeps coming back. Um, and it was very unlikely that we'll get through uh, even the committee uh, that handles uh, elect electoral legislation, um, much less the Democratic-controlled General Assembly. You know, it's something that is taking on great s symbolic value. Um, but the, the bottom line is fraud at the polls, the idea of somebody showing up and impersonating somebody um, is incredibly rare. In fact, um, I have not found a case in Connecticut. So, you know, there, voter fraud does exist. It usually happens um, with absentee ballots um, in small numbers. Uh, again, the, the former president of the United States, when he talks about sweeping voter fraud, there's really uh, no evidence of that. And in fact, if you think about how elections are conducted in the United States, you would realize it's almost impossible because there is no one election. You know, in Connecticut, there are 169 <laughs> elections that are conducted because they are handled at the local level. So the idea of being able to scale up some kind of voter fraud is, is really a myth. But again, it doesn't mean that you know, you can't make improvements, that you can't um, do a better job of cleaning up the voter rolls to make sure that they are up to date. But um, but photo ID, again, has just become uh, kind of a lightning rod. Uh, conservatives love it um, because, again, on its face, for most of us who have driver's licenses or photo IDs, it's not that big a deal. But there are people who don't have driver's licenses. There are older folks who don't have family support and would have trouble um, going to the DMV and getting some kind of government photo ID. Um, so, but again, it seems to be a solution in search of a problem that so far has not been identified as real in the state of Connecticut. Before we talk about uh, COVID measures, again, uh, the state Senate voting today on a limited state of emergency. You know, I just wanted to get your response, what you've heard, the response to uh, Governor Lamont's uh, budget proposal in this election year and how that will shake out. Mark. Well, the pushback that Lamont is facing from his own party is really from the progressive wing. Um, the governor has been reluctant to look at a more progressive tax structure. There is tax relief in his budget. Um, there are tax credits uh, for on the property tax. Um, there, there are some other 
breaks, but there's there's no sweeping change here. And, you know, this is a tension that has been present since he was elected in 2018. Um, th- there are people who would like to see a more progressive tax structure, uh, you know, that higher taxes on the very high earners in Connecticut, in part to offset um, some of the advantages that the very rich have under the federal tax code. But this governor, and quite frankly, as was the case with the previous Democratic governor, Dan Malloy, there is a reluctance to do anything that takes away the competitive advantage that Connecticut has over New York and New Jersey in particular. Um, Connecticut is a high expense state. It's a high tax state, but it's still cheaper than New York. And governors of Connecticut like to maintain that advantage. I know that there have been proposals, especially from uh, state Republicans, uh, to do something about the sales tax. Uh, does that? Do you think that will have uh, uh, any weight this session as uh, lawmakers uh, discuss? You know, you know what should make it before May fourth. It's difficult to make substantive changes because it's a broad-based tax, and the numbers get very big. You know, you can. Um, you can uh, exempt certain things from the sales tax, but those debates tend to be difficult because once you start that conversation, conversation, the question is, well, why should uh, dry cleaning be exempt, but, you know, buying your, you know, buying clothes or not, you know, so those debates tend to be very careful for that reason. You're hearing Mark Pasniokas here on Where We Live, Capitol Bureau Chief for the Connecticut Mirror, as we talk about this new legislative session already underway. You can join us if you have a question, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. A lot of attention uh, with uh, what's going to happen with the mask mandate in schools. As I mentioned, Mark, uh, the Senate now also voting today on specific COVID measures, including limiting a state of emergency that would keep the state eligible for federal relief and uh, continuing uh, some of the governor's executive orders, uh, including that school-wide mask mandate until the end of the month. Uh, so let's just uh, break that down. What what the, the House voted on Friday, what the Senate is expected to vote on today, and you know how this will impact uh, the local school districts. So the, <clears throat> the Senate today will vote on two measures. One is a resolution that will um, declare a new state of emergency more limited than the one that the governor declared in March of 2020, which gave him incredible powers, really literally the ability to unilaterally enact, temporarily at least, new laws and to suspend existing ones. That is an incredible authority. Nobody questions that. The new declaration, which would run through June 30th, is is more limited and it is intended to, again, guarantee that the state does not jeopardize the federal relief that is flowing to the state. The administration says that's been amounting to about $30 million a month. It comes in extended SNAP benefits and, and stuff like that. Um, and, and, and the argument is, why do we want to risk losing it? There are also 11 executive orders of the 200 to 300 that were issued during the, f- the first two years of this pandemic. 
And they are a mix of things that are really not controversial. In fact, things that some people like, the idea of, of the authorization to do telemedicine, that kind of stuff. There's um, waivers of um, purchasing requirements to really cut through the red tape to allow the state to move quickly on purchasing uh, mask uh, vaccines and the like. But then there's a handful that deal with mask and vaccinations. And that's what has become very, very controversial, uh, even though we're really talking about a limited amount of time on, on really any of this. The most of the executive orders would be extended only until the middle of April. So there's a lot of angst over really a short period of time. Um, the mask mandate is the one that um, there's no clear, safe political position to take because there are people who are complaining on both sides of that question. You certainly have many parents who are frustrated, who believe that based on the statistics that, you know, pediatric COVID fatalities are very rare. They do happen. There are more than a thousand children who have died of COVID in the United States, but that is, you know, less than one quarter of 1% of all the cases. Um, but there are people who would like to see the mask mandate continue, particularly for the youngest children. Uh, in daycares because there's no vaccine vaccine yet approved for people under five. Uh, on the other hand, it's just, uh, you know, Vinnie Candelora, the House Republican leader, I think he, you know, he phrased it uh, pretty succinctly and pretty smartly. And he talked about the psychological aspect of this. You know, a lot of people are just tired. They're frustrated. Um, they're ready to move on. And you see, you um, Blue state governors who have been kind of the strictest on some of the orders that they have enacted, um, almost universally, they're all backing away from, from mandates, from masks, um, and, and to a degree, vaccinations. Because in Connecticut, the vaccination mandates really are limited to state employees. That's going away. Um, and to visit people in nursing homes, you have to show evidence of vaccination or take a test on the spot. But, and that's going to go away in early March, the first week of March. That's an important point that you brought up, that uh, you have blue state governors like uh, Governor Lamont and, you know, saying that, you know, now's the time to uh, get rid of this or eliminate the mask mandate in schools. But really, this is out of sync with, with federal guidance, Mark, including, again, the CDC recommending universal indoor masking by all students ages two and older, staff, teachers, visitors to K to 12 schools, regardless of vaccination status. Um, you know, it's just interesting uh, to see that this is this conversation is moving ahead uh, before the CDC uh, puts out guidance on this, because that's something that has been relied on for for so for so many months. The CDC is under a lot of fire. Uh, they have you know issued guidance that has been confusing at times. Um, they are out of step with the World Health Organization and many other nations on those recommendations. Uh, over the weekend, I noticed that Dr. Scott Gottlieb, um, the former FDA director, who is one of the governor's informal advisors, um, said that he expects the CDC to revise that guidance. Right now, the CDC has a guidance that applies to the entire country. 
And the question is, um, is, is that mandate still necessary in states like Connecticut and the Northeast where cases went up very quickly and they have come down very quickly? Um, but yes, the, the, there is the science, or at least the scientist, uh, there is not a consensus, you know, the CDC versus the World Health Organization, for example. Getting back to uh, the emergency orders, uh, executive orders that the the state Senate will consider, when we talk about the mask mandate, that would uh, permit the mask mandate to continue through February 28th. And then after that, depending on the Senate vote, it would be up to local districts to decide what to do, Mark. Yeah, and that's been um, a difficult question. You know, is the governor really foisting onto the local school boards? what has been um, a state mandate. The governor early on um, was very clear that he was going to take the heat. He did not want to see local school boards uh, come under siege by angry parents. Um, But he's ready to do exactly that um, with with this uh, proposal now. Uh, You know, the governor did give over authority to mayors and first selectmen on the question of what requiring a mask to go to the, you know, the grocery store and whatnot. But he did keep that power uh, in his office when it came to schools. And that's one of the criticisms against against this decision. Um, Should there be a, a statewide mandate or should communities be able to look at what's going on in their communities and make a local decision. Uh, On its face, that's a reasonable thing. But the political reality is, as I'm sure Fran Rabinowitz is going to say when she comes on later, is this is very difficult for local school boards and school superintendents. Again, you've been hearing Mark Pazniokas here on Where We Live, Capitol Bureau Chief for the Connecticut Mirror, uh, to uh, further drive home that this is a political conversation and how that there's pressure on lawmakers and school leaders to make decisions based on what their constituents want. You're expecting to see protesters today at the state capitol with the state senate vote coming up, Mark? Yes, and the Capitol Police are certainly expecting them. Um, They do have uh, fencing out uh, as a precaution. You know, they tend to err on the side of caution ever since the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. Uh, I got here early and there was nobody out there. So after I get off the the air with you, I'm going to take a walk outside and, and see who's around. It's kind of a chilly morning here outside the state capitol. <laughs> well, thank you for the context you provided us, Mark. Again, uh, Mark Pasniokas, Capitol Bureau Chief for the Connecticut Mirror. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you, Lucy. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up, we're going to hear from school district leaders. And later, Dr. Manisha Jutani, the commissioner of the State Department of Public Health. What questions do you have about the mask mandate in schools? How do you want your child's school to handle the issue of masks in the months ahead? You can join us at 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Health Care. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford Health Care. 
ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Are you confused about the mask mandate in schools and how the issue will be handled for the remaining school year? Melissa tweeted, I really wish we'd wait to remove the requirement until everyone is eligible for vaccination. A lot of school-aged kids have younger siblings at home who are still ineligible, including mine. Why not wait till everyone has the option to be protected? And HK tweeted, the mask mandate needs to end in all schools. Connecticut is one of the last states to continue to mandate this in school. Masks should be a choice. And there are free N95 masks available if a parent still wants their child to wear one. So we wanted to hear from how school leaders are handling uh, this moment. Uh, Joining us now on Zoom, first is Fran Rabinowitz. She's executive director of the Connecticut Association of Public School Superintendents. Fran, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Lucy. Good morning and happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day to you as well. Our listeners can join 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So it's, you know, I think when we ask people about the last uh, couple of years, you know, it feels like a long time. Sometimes it feels like we've been doing this for three years. But just to put a finer point on the mask mandate in schools, this will be the first time Schools will be in person during the pandemic without a statewide mask mandate, depending on how the General Assembly votes. And so how are school leaders weighing this moment, Fran? Well, I think this is a very difficult and challenging time for um, for school leaders. Um, I would say that depending upon the community, um, it can be um, somewhat um smooth transition, um, and but in most communities, I think you will see conflict about whether to continue the masks or not continue them. And um, I, in, in speaking with superintendents, it is not an easy time to be a superintendent or in this particular case to be a board member. When you talk about the pressure that educators and administrators are under, uh, talk through with us when when it comes time to make the decision how you're also expected to deliver public health information and and what guidance do you expect to hear from the state because that's still forthcoming. Well, here's the thing, um, which I you know I stated on the governor's press conference and. I say it over and over again, superintendents and board members are not epidemiologists. We're not even medical doctors. And so we're educators. You know, if you want to ask us how to teach reading, we can do that. Um, But we absolutely need the medical guidance in order to make 
the um, the best decision for our students and staff. And so we're awaiting <clears throat> that <clears throat> that guidance from the Department of Health, which we hope will be coming um, this week. That will make life if the guidance is specific and to you know what are the um, the factors that you should be looking for in your community. And if it has some metrics, it will be much easier to um, to recommend the change. And depending on how the General Assembly votes, uh, again, the State Department of Public Health would have the authority to reinstate a mask mandate uh, in the future if things started to look, uh, again, uh, with the surge uh, continuing. You know, how do you feel about that? I do feel um, I feel very comfortable about that. I mean, it, 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 right now, um, the House has said up until um, June of 2022, um, the DPH can issue whatever mandates they feel are necessary, and that's comforting um, to know that we have that ability. If there is another surge or if there is a reason that we feel um, those masks need to um, uh, to go back on for everyone. We're hearing that some school districts, no matter um, if this statewide mask mandate in schools expires February 28th, they're still going to require masks uh, in in indoor public places. Uh, The city of New Haven is an example. And so this just shows how varied uh, the the response will be, uh, Fran, depending on the community. It is. It is so dependent upon the community. I mean, I'm hearing New Haven, I'm hearing Bridgeport, and I think what they're looking at there is um, certainly the vaccination rate in the community, the vaccination rate in the schools, um, et cetera, the prevalence rate, the hospital hospitalizations, all of those things are pointing to the need to continue the masks. And I respect the um, the right of every community to be able to do that. Um, and I, I think that's really um, incredibly important. Although I still wish, <laughs> um, honestly, that it could somehow have been a, um, a state mandate um, in either way, but um, I'm thinking perhaps that wasn't possible because of the um, different rates in different communities. You're hearing Fran Rabinowitz here on Where We Live. She's Executive Director of the Connecticut Association of Public School Superintendents. We wanted to hear from another school district and, and how they're weighing this decision. So joining us now is Dr. Matt Conway, who's superintendent of Derby Public Schools. Welcome to our show, Dr. Conway. Thank you very much, and happy Valentine's Day, everybody. <laughs> so tell us, where do things stand with Derby? What have you been hearing from parents and uh, teachers? So uh, we began meeting with uh, uh, teachers last week and, and our admins, and just uh, yesterday held uh, two different Zooms back-to-back, one for all staff and one for all families, kind of as a uh, – we uh, build it as a, a pre-Super Bowl party Zoom to discuss – mask wearing and have some conversations and fun around uh, the topic leading into the Super Bowl. So it gave parents and staff an opportunity to really share their thoughts and experience uh, over the past two years with regards to the mask wearing and where they might be 
uh, in a couple of weeks from now uh, as we contemplate where we will be as a, as a community. So as, as Fran uh, has mentioned, and you've heard from others, I'm sure that it really is a, uh, a community-based decision uh, that will come out of this, but I think providing opportunity for that access and voice uh, for everyone to have uh, to share their thoughts and experiences is, is critical to the process. You mentioned that Zoom meeting having fun, but for some listening, this 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 uh, issue is very stressful. Others are frustrated, and so tell me a little bit more about what you're hearing from parents and teachers um, at that meeting, and how you're going to move forward after February 28th. Sure. So we're hearing. Uh, uh, things on both sides uh, that uh, those uh, from our, our teachers and staff that uh, they find that the masks have uh, impeded uh, learning for students, especially with regards to uh, speech uh, and language skill development. Uh, they feel that students are showing a lack of confidence as a result uh, in their work, as a result of the, the mask wearing. Um, and, um, but at the same time, there uh, there are some that wonder is you know now the right time, but we're not sure, and neither neither are they, and they're sharing that openly. And from parents, uh, we're hearing uh, that uh, now's the time uh, to remove, um, and but we're hearing from others that um, they want the vaccination rate amongst our youngest population um, to be a little bit higher. So um, we're, we're hearing it from, from both sides. We're sharing out articles and studies from um, a variety of, of resources and asking people to also share what they might come across uh, for articles and studies as well in that same document. So everybody is kind of sharing the information together and having an opportunity to discuss it openly um, in a respectful way. Are you confident about this transition, Dr. Conway? I'm 100% confident about the transition. We we can't be anything but. Uh, uh, the House has voted. The Senate will vote today. Depending upon the outcome of that, we have to be prepared to, to move forward to the next steps, whether we think it should be a, a statewide mandate or not. Either way, uh, we're in a position where we have to prepare um, uh, to move forward. Mm. And so do you feel like you and the school board are, are in the hot seat here uh, because, uh, you know, this uh, conversation about mass has become uh, so political and because you mentioned there are um, different sides to this issue? I'm just wondering if you can talk more about, you know, the, the decision-making process and, and how, uh, you know, you're talking with uh, the school board and others about moving forward. I think the, the best we can do in this is give everybody an opportunity to share their thoughts and experiences uh, and at the end of the day, uh, if a decision is different than what the state uh, is currently recommending will happen on, on February 28th, then um, that will determine whether there's any action, you know, locally or not. If we're just going to uh, basically move forward with the decision from the legislature um, and DPH to lift the mandate, uh, and so be it. If there's a, a different decision where it's going to be a local mandate, then that's something each board uh, will um, have the opportunity to take up. And so depending again on that vote, uh, the school district of Derby will have to decide if if uh, you know, what they what is best for their community. And that could also just mean, would it be a mask optional policy moving forward? 
Well, there is, it's, it's not necessary, and that's up to the local school district, but if, if this legislature is providing, is lifting the mandate as, as, as of a certain date, it, it becomes optional after that. Um, there's, there's nothing a local board has to do uh, that's already, that will already have been done by the legislature. It's only in the event that you're doing something different that might require a local board decision, though local boards can, if they um, so see fit, also adopt a, an optional policy if that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Fran Rabinowitz, uh, can you respond to that? Because I believe there have been some districts that are school boards that are you know, voting on a mask optional policy. Yes, many um, many school districts have um, surveyed parents and are, um, are already voting on a mask optional um, um, policy for their um, particular district. But as Matt said, <clears throat> the legislature, if you know, if the Senate votes today, then the le- legislature is in fact removing the mask mandate. Um, and then um, districts, I think districts just feel the need to also emphasize to parents that it is um, optional. And I think the, the majority, the far majority of districts will probably take that, um, that option. Uh, that's what I'm hearing, at least, depending, again, um, Lucy, on what the um, uh, Department of Public Health um, issues as guidance. I think that is has to be really kept in the foreground because that's where we have been led over the last two years by the Department of Public Health. And I think they've done a good job of it. Um, and we're going to listen again um, as we um, uh, cross this bridge. Right. Uh, Dr. Conway, I wanted to go back to you again. Dr. Matt Conway is here, superintendent of Derby Public Schools. And so, you know, a lot waiting on this vote by the state Senate. It's expected that this mask mandate in schools will expire at the end of the month and uh, local districts will be then uh, able to make decisions based on their local community. But are you anticipating any confusion? Because when we look at what the CDC has put out there, including there's a federal mandate that masks must be worn uh, on buses and how that will be confusing to your school community where uh, masks may be optional in school, but they'll be required on buses. Is that your understanding? That, that actually is uh, what is in place right now. Um, I, as of Thursday's uh, reports uh, from conversations on Wednesday, Dr. Walensky has stated uh, that they will be reviewing their guidance as well. But right now uh, on any public transportation, it is mandated. We have had those conversations with staff and parents in our Zoom yesterday that that would still be a requirement. So that's that's a, a communication item. It might be confusing to people, but it's communicating out that on buses, any public transportation like that, whether it's to and from school, whether it's a field trip, whether it's a, a athletic program, that while on the buses, they will have to wear uh, a mask. Fran, did you want to respond to that as well? 
I'm sorry, Lucy, can you repeat that? Well, just the fact that uh, depending on, no matter what, how Connecticut moves forward on this mask mandate, so if the mask mandate in schools expires, uh, right now the federal, there is still a federal mandate that masks must still be worn on public transportation, including school buses. Has that been communicated clearly uh, to uh, school communities? Well, I certainly have communicated that <clears throat> through our attorney um, to all of the superintendents saying, this is a federal mandate. And do I believe that there'll be some confusion on that? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's hard to, you know, uh, uh, families group school um, together. That's the busing, everything. Right. And all of a sudden it's going to be, you have to wear your mask on the buses. You know, I, I, I can imagine little kids, you know, um, where's my mask? It's in my, it's in my backpack. Let me pull it out to put it on, to get on the bus. I think, I think it will require, um, certainly an, an extra step and some confusion on the part of families. You've been hearing Fran Rabinowitz here on Where We Live, Executive Director of the Connecticut Association of Public School Superintendents. Fran, thank you for your time today. Uh, you're welcome, Lucy, anytime. Also with us was Dr. Matt Conway, Superintendent of Derby Public Schools. We thank you for your time as well. Absolutely. Thank you. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. So after the break, the Commissioner of the State Department of Public Health joins us, Dr. Manisha Jutani. What questions do you have for her related to the mask mandate in schools? Again, you can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been talking about the mask mandate in schools as lawmakers vote on COVID measures in the state Senate later today. The plan is contingent on the approval by the General Assembly to extend an executive order that lets the public health commissioner mandate masks in certain settings after February 28th. Joining us now on the phone is the commissioner of the Department of Public Health, Dr. Manisha Jutani. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again, Lucy. So we're getting a lot of questions uh, from parents and others where some are asking, why now? Why remove this mask mandate in schools now? Others are saying it's about time. So just remind us why you as public health commissioner and the governor believe the statewide mask mandate in schools should be eliminated by the end of the month. So I think we've seen a major difference now than where we were two years ago in terms of how we have managed this pandemic. First of all, all school-age children are eligible for vaccinations, which is our number one way to mitigate against this pandemic. Secondly, even though we did have a new variant that came on the scene, we are seeing continued decreases in case counts, in hospitalizations. And so the combination of the two and the fact that most schools are having some vacation period around President's Day weekend and we have, you know, another several days, about a week, to wash out that period before schools can go to mask choice, should that be what their school boards decide, that this is an opportunity to take advantage of what we are hoping will be con continued and sustained decreases 
in cases in our community. And as we hope that this virus becomes more of a seasonal virus that we see going forward. This is not in uh, lockstep with the federal guidance, what the CDC recommends with universal indoor masking by all. Do you think that is problematic? It causes confusion uh, within our population about what is the best decision? So we know we've seen guidance from the CDC at various different times, but every state is different. And the CDC's role is really to be able to provide guidance to all states in the country. And what we know is that all our states are very, very different. Um, So this guidance is very appropriate and meaningful. However, not all states are vaccinated to the same degree that our state is. And so I think this is what we need to keep in mind as we're going forward. Not all places have cases decreasing at the same level that ours is. And I do think we are at a point now where some schools may say that their vaccination rate is so low and they are concerned about the degree of transmission in their community that they want to keep masks in place as a requirement. And what we're really offering different school districts is the opportunity to weigh in at this point, because we know that one of the biggest mitigation measures we have in terms of vaccination is something that people have in control in their hands. When we talk about um, the, you know, giving them guidance, when is that expected that school districts will have that from your department? And when we talk about metrics, what metrics should they use? So I think there are two different uh, things there I want to address. First of all, we are working hard at this guidance and hope to have it out shortly to be able to primarily provide schools with guidance on how to deal with isolation, with quarantine that they've been dealing with for the last several years. Because we are going into a different setting now where masks, which are one of our major mitigation strategies, will not be required. That does not mean that a family may not choose to continue to tell their child to mask. It's going to be mask choice for those schools that choose not to have universal masking. And so our guidance will be able to help people navigate how to operationalize those different strategies that we've used so far. Mm. In terms of metrics, you know, I think one of the things I've tried to be very clear about throughout this pandemic, particularly in these last several months, is that the virus has changed, the situation on the ground has changed. So first of all, we do know we have vaccinations. Secondly, we know that the Omicron variant in terms of test positivity rate varies in terms of what the severity of that virus may mean versus the Delta variant, particularly in somebody who's vaccinated. So that also makes a difference. And so when we look at case counts, when we look at hospitalizations, we see that there is a major difference. We had far fewer hospitalizations, even though we had a lot. We had close to the same amount as we did at the beginning of the pandemic, but far fewer than we did relative to the number of cases that we had in our state. And that just speaks to a less virulent virus that we have now on the ground. Now, what we're also seeing is that the days are getting longer. We are having warmer weather uh, you know, emerging. And my hope is that we will continue to see a continued decline so that schools can make choices that are going to work best for them. Mm. 
Uh, you said that that's your hope, but uh, as we all know, you especially, uh, since this pandemic uh, started, the situation on the ground can change from month to month. Just look at what happened uh, last uh, summer with Delta. And so uh, talk more about how uh, your, depending again on this vote by uh, the General Assembly, the State Senate voting today, your department would still have the authority to reinstate this mask uh, mandate in schools depending on the situation on the ground. So what would that metric be? I think the biggest metric that we would be looking at there is a sustained increase in hospitalizations that would get to the point where we have real concerns, whether our healthcare system can actually bear what they have been dealing with for two years now. And so I think as we think about what would be required to institute a statewide mask mandate in schools, that would probably be the number one threshold. Now, having said that, schools may choose if they can't keep their doors open, because based on the situation in their particular school and with vaccination rates in their particular school, that going back to full mask mandate is the way to keep the doors open. We are now allowing different schools the opportunity to weigh in on that as opposed to just mandating it at the level of the state. So I think there are two different issues. Yes, you're absolutely right. We will still have, if the Senate passes this, the ability to reinstitute something should it get to the point of public health concern for the entire state. But I do think that schools should remember that they have this ability all on their own to be able to make those decisions quickly, to be able to try to keep children in school, which I think is our number one priority. Kathy tweeted, when will there be some recognition of the needs of students and teachers who are high risk or have family members who are? What happened to protecting the most vulnerable, as Kathy writes, is that concept just words? How do you respond to what Kathy shared? We also hear from other immunocompromised uh, residents in our state that are concerned about this decision now. So I totally understand that perspective, and I do think we need to continue to take care of our most immunocompromised. And that's why I think we need to have people recognize that they can vaccinate their children. We have done our best in all the months that the vaccinations for children have been around to try to bring people on board. And I would continue to remind people that they have this opportunity to be able to protect those that are most vulnerable. Now, what I would say is that our teachers, those that are vulnerable, obviously can continue to mask. The reason that we are offering this as an opportunity for people to weigh in is that there are multiple different public health challenges that we are faced with. For two years, we are focusing on taking care of our community at large and our most vulnerable. We also have people that have concerns about the longer-term impact of masking, which I do think, relatively speaking, in the grand context of things, is minimal. I think the benefits of masking do outweigh those risks. But I do think that our children have been in masks for a long time and that communities should take care of their most immunocompromised. And getting vaccinations is really the number one way that we can do that. When we talk about protection, Melissa, we read read a tweet from Melissa earlier about, you know, a lot of school-aged kids have younger siblings at home who are still ineligible, including hers. And so, again, why not wait until everyone has the option to be protected? We know that the vaccine for children under five is still not ready. 
So in this regard, you know, I do really feel for the parents who have children who are still in this age group where we don't have a vaccine. And I'm very hopeful that Pfizer, who has told us that we may be able to review this in April, that, you know, coming into this spring, we will have an opportunity to get the youngest children vaccinated. And I hope a lot of parents do sign up for that once we have the data to support that. I think what we're seeing now, though, is that we have large swaths of our society who are immunized and we have continued decreasing rates as the days are getting longer and as our ability to protect people with vaccinations has continued to rise and as the weather is improving. So if there's an opportunity as we are approaching spring, this is going to be a time when I, again, I cannot promise what's going to come forward because we have not had schools unmasked yet. However, the best science we have, the best information we have is that this is a time when at least our local leaders should be able to have an opportunity to weigh in on what is going to work best for their community because each of our communities in Connecticut is a little different. You're an infectious disease specialist uh, before you, again, uh, became uh, commissioner of the State Department of Public Health. Has this been a a hard decision to make, uh, given uh, how we've seen the pandemic go up and down, uh, concerns about, um, you know, there's a lot of political pressure, uh, some community members being very vocal about this mask mandate needing to end. Has this been a difficult decision for you to reach? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is as an infectious disease doctor, as a physician, you know, there I think there are multiple factors that go into this type of decision making. And I would continue to advise people to make assessments that are going to work best for you and work best for your family and continue to look at what the conditions on the ground are and make choices that are going to work well for you. I think at the end of the day, My job, as I see it, is to try to give the best public health advice. And, you know, if rates right now are continuing to decrease, but if masks don't bother you, to wear them in indoor settings is certainly the most additional layer of protection that we can offer. Now, if you choose for your family that that is not something because you are vaccinated and boosted and your overall risk is substantially lower and you have the ability to make that choice, then I would say that is something that you can consider. But what I will say for our community at large is that, again, I am hopeful, cannot promise, but I am hopeful that we are getting to a point where this pandemic will recede a bit. And I'm hopeful that we will have what I'm hoping is a six months of reprieve a little bit, as opposed to getting a Delta wave in the middle of the summer like we did last year. But that is my hope. I cannot promise that's what's going to happen. And Dr. Jutani, we're we're almost out of time. I want to thank you, Dr. Manisha Jutani, Commissioner of the State Department of Public Health. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. We'll be back tomorrow.